Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Do it. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Unfollowing Mum. I have a guest with me this week and I am really excited to chat to her. We've met on social media and her stuff is really similar to the kind of things that we talk about on this podcast and understanding your experiences. So I think she's really going to resonate with so many of you. Her name is Becca Dominguez. Hi. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here. So for people who do not know you, can you give a little bit of an introduction to who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Yes, absolutely. Uh, So I'm Rebecca Dominguez. You can call me Becca. That's totally fine. Um, I am a licensed mental health counselor. I am also a trauma specialist. And I'm sure that's tied to a lot of the experiences that I've had that kind of indirectly led me there. Um, but I really resonated with your podcast and I, I ended up seeking out more things about that kind of mom wound um, ever since I became a therapist. And then I was meeting a lot of other people with those same things and realized that it just really was not talked about and you would be surprised like how it's 2023, we advocate for mental health and everything, but there's still a lot of archaic views when it comes to, oh, well, you know, their family, their family, their family. So it's touched a special part of me. So now I, I do work as one of my specialties with estrangement from parents because I've been so inspired not only from my own experiences, but just hearing about other people's experiences too. Yeah, and I completely relate to what you say about how it's just not talked about enough. It's such a taboo topic. And I even get, you know, she's just doing it for attention. It's just, oh, keep talking about it. Like, you've cut them off. What does it matter now? And it's like, it does matter because it's such a taboo topic. And when we shroud something in this kind of shame and guilt and this this (laughs) taboo-ness, if we're going to use that... (laughs) It becomes much more and it becomes so internalized. Like one of the things that I hear so often, not just from coaching clients, but from people that I speak to online, from my own experiences, oh my God, I thought it was just me. Or there's an actual term for that. I didn't know there was a term for like triangulation. I didn't know there was, I thought it was just my mum that did that. And it's so frustrating that we kind of put a blanket of shame over these things that really need discussing because they are so common and make people who are victims of these experiences feel like they are completely alone. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that just kind of like continues the entire cycle. So if it's not talked about, then a lot of these people are just kind of doomed to repeat these same cycles. It's only when we do talk about it, have the uncomfortable conversations, shed the light on it, that, okay, now we can start coming to this awareness and recognizance of, okay, this is what I didn't like. This is what I experienced. This is what I don't want to repeat for my own children. And I'm sure maybe like that's something you've gone through too. No one warns you when you have a child and you've gone through these experiences that you're going to relive all of the trauma that you experienced and no one talks about that. (laughs) So it's like a crazy experience when you have this beautiful child and you can be so unhappy. You can like be experiencing all of these horrible memories and you're just like, why am I not able to appreciate these beautiful moments with my child? Why am I having these thoughts? Why am I having these memories? 
why doesn't anybody talk about that? I feel like that should definitely be a disclaimer when you get pregnant. Like, <laughs> can you imagine it at the antenatal classes? Did it just be a little? Like, could anybody who anybody had childhood trauma? Can you just put your hand up? Okay, yeah, this is what you're going to experience. I think the part of the problem Something. with that is that we certainly in my experience, I didn't even realize what my relationship with my mother was. And I knew I had childhood trauma from my relationship with my dad. But I didn't realize the trauma that I had and the toxicity in the relationship with my mum until I had kids. And it was then, and so many people that I speak to have exactly the same thing, that it was then mm-hmm. that all of a sudden you start to look at your parents. And we we are a society that grows up hearing when you have your own kids, you'll understand in terms of how hard parenting can be. And don't get me wrong, I do. There are times yeah. you look at a scenario and you're like, I remember that. Gosh, I wonder if my mum felt the same. That's really tough. And it's not to dismiss that side of things. But what we don't talk about is how when you have your own kids, you'll start to reflect on things and go, why the hell would you have done that to me? Why did why did you think that was okay? And that's really difficult. So can you tell me a little bit about your own experiences that led you to want to help people who've been through trauma and estrangement and that kind of thing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so basically, uh, so I am the, the younger sibling, my sister is a little bit older. So a lot of my early memories are definitely more of like, I remember the fights between my mom and my sister. It wasn't until I got a little bit older, um, that I, I started to have my own experiences with my mom. Um, but I just remember my parents got divorced when I was around seven or eight, I believe. And as soon as like everything was happening, the separation, I was always like, I want to be with my dad. I want to be with my dad. And there was, I think, some mental health issues going on with my mom, but obviously she never saw anybody. Um, I think maybe she had some kind of mood disorder. It could have been bipolar. It could have been borderline. There was something. But my father always tried really hard to shield me from it. Mm-hmm. So whenever there would be like a fight, um, if my mom was throwing something, screaming, hysterical, my dad would take me to the park or go somewhere else. So he really tried to shield me from as much as possible. But obviously, there's only so much escapism that you can really do. It wasn't until like I was adult that I learned that like my mom tried to kill herself at one point. She was hospitalized. There was like a whole week that she just wasn't there. And I have no recollection of it whatsoever. So there was a lot of abuse in the household, emotionally and physical. And I think that my family didn't know how to deal with it. So they just normalized it. And we all use humor as a coping mechanism So we would joke about it like, oh, you know, like mom might throw something at you like, oh, be careful when she's mad. And I think about it now and I'm like, you guys, this is not normal. Like, why are we joking about this? That she might throw a shoe at you, that she might throw a blow dryer. The cops were called once. I had like memories uh, not that long ago. I was having like nightmares. I told my sister about it and I was like, why do I remember like you guys fighting and like you were covered in blood? And she was like, you remember that? And I was like what Mm. so there was like a fight between them that like I think my sister got cut with something when they were like fighting and throwing something the cops were called so I was very young but I think I internalized that so when the divorce happened and I had the little bit of autonomy to make that decision of who I wanted to go with it was always like I want to go with dad I want to go with dad and I didn't know how to articulate why I didn't know how to articulate that I'm afraid of my mom that I'm that there's these horrible things that I've seen. So no one understood it. And it was always this pressure to like reopen conversations with my mom when my dad would take me to go visit her. Cause obviously like in the divorce, they had to share custody. I'd be crying hysterical. Like, please don't take me there. Please don't take me there. And when they, when they would say why the only thing I knew how to say as a child was, I just don't like her. I didn't know how to say like, this is, this is unhealthy. I didn't know how to say, we didn't know abuse. We didn't know that. So there were a lot of times in my adolescence and my teen years that I would like stop conversations with my mom. I'd cut it off and we'd get into a fight and I'd say like, I don't want to talk to you. And then there was, um, I guess kind of like this overlap. We were very religious. So if I did stop contact with my mom, 
you're living in sin, you're going to hell, you're not honoring your mother. So I think I have an overlap there with a lot of the people that experienced not only emotional abuse, but then the spiritual abuse as well, the manipulation of like, well, God's telling you that you have to do this. So I mean, like, listening to a parent is already scary enough, disobeying a parent is scary enough. But now you're disobeying God. It's like, oh, okay, this is bad. So there was a lot of spiritual pressure to reestablish communications with my mom. And every time I discontinued, it was, you're going to hell. You're a bad Christian. You're a hypocrite. How dare you? And I'm like 13, 14. So being told you're going to go to hell is, it's pretty scary. It's not a, it's not a fun thing to be told. And so I finally, um, I finally cut contact like for good, for good, uh, about when well, my son's three. Yeah. So. Three years ago, I was pregnant. Um, my grandmother ended up passing away and that was like the only person my mom had. So she contacted me. Of course, I had to go help. Um, so in the middle of me helping for all the preparations, like there was just a lot of, a lot of comments. I was three months pregnant and there was just a lot of passive, the passivity. And then it wasn't until like after the funeral and everything that she had basically like told my dad, like, Oh, your daughters are so ungrateful. They didn't help mm-hmm. me with anything. Um, like, they, why would they even come to this? Like, you know, like they're just hypocrites and just starting the abuse again. So I made the very difficult decision that's been highly controversial to everyone that I've told of I'm going to end contact. She didn't know about my pregnancy. She doesn't to this day. I have everything kind of like on private and everything. And if she finds out, she finds out. But I made the decision that I didn't have a choice to experience these things. So it's just unfair to subject my son to that. He has a choice. I can make that choice for him where I'm not even going to risk the possibility of him having to experience the things that I did. If I have a choice to prevent that and protect him from that, why wouldn't I? And so it's been very hard. Whenever I tell anybody that, like, yeah, my mom doesn't know that I have a son. People are like, but that's your mom. Mm-hmm. That if I had a dollar for every time someone told <laughs> yeah. me, but that's your mom. I could pay for everyone's therapy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> it's free therapy for everyone. <laughs> yes. That is like the most common thing. And I've mm-hmm. heard that ever since I was little. When I cut contact at 11, but that's your mom. She'd be so happy to hear from you. Okay. And then the cycle repeats. 14, but that's your mom. Okay, starting contact. 16, but that's your mom. And it's just the same thing over and over and over again. And unfortunately, nothing's going to change. And it's definitely, I think, like what gets misconstrued and what we come off as maybe like harsh. People don't understand that no one chooses that. Nobody is like, you know what? I want less support in my life. I want less advice, less love, less warmth, less conditional love. Nobody chooses that. So instead, it should be like, wow, I wonder what you experienced for you to have to make such a difficult choice. But it's just like people don't get it. They just see like, wow, you must be. I, I curse a lot. So I've been trying very hard to censor. That's away. It's fine. Curse okay, I'm, I get told like, wow, you must be a bitch or yeah. like a horrible things of like, you must be so ungrateful, like how mm. horrible. And I'm like, what? I'm like, hello, I am the victim. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's so bizarre. And I find I find the concept of gratitude when it comes to our parents really odd. It's like previous generations. And I I think still we in our generation, it's the same thing. There's this real kind of debt mindset that is instilled in being a parent of I gave up this for you. I did that for you. Therefore, you owe me. And I look at my own children. I think they don't owe me anything. Like I can't imagine them owing me anything purely for their existence they don't owe me for the choices that I made so gratitude is something that should be freely given do I want them to be grateful that I cooked them dinner yes but do I then want to hang that over them in 15 years time if I don't like the person that they're about to marry and say to them well you can't marry that person because I don't like them or you can't Mm. move to that country because you won't be able to come and see me who's going to look after me when I'm old it's such a bizarre mindset that so many toxic parents seem to have of you owe me and we we don't owe our parents anything gratitude is something that is 
freely given it's something that we're meant to be able to say you know I'm so grateful for what my mum did for me I'm grateful that my mum had these hard times I'm grateful that despite her mental health struggles she always tried her hardest to do this and yes sometimes she got it wrong and that's okay but I'm grateful for that not oh I owe her for that and I used to find myself saying all the time well I owe her because with my mum she was a single mum and my dad was very absent uh he has his own he had his own troubles I think with his behavior and his attitude he was very much the narcissistic father that was my experience of him and I don't know how much of that was colored by my mum but mm-hmm. my own personal dealings with him were very grandiose and dismissive of me and I think because of those experiences and because I could see how he treated her I remember the arguments that they'd have I remember him throwing her to the floor and that kind of thing I remember those as such a young child I think I'd always looked at her as some kind of amazing being who'd done all of this and oh I should be so grateful because how hard she must have had it and then I speak to other people who've been through very similar experiences and managed to somehow not put that on their kids and I think oh why why did my mom not do that you know like why (laughs) why did she always make me feel responsible for that why was I her therapist at five you know all of these things that are so bizarre that when we look at them through an adult lens but through child lenses they are just the norm it's the Mm -hmm. norm because we don't know any different and if you'd said to a child who lived in a bunker all their life that the sky is purple and then they came outside and saw it was blue, they'd be absolutely flabbergasted because you said it was purple. <laughs> like, yeah. why would they not believe that was the truth? Why would they not believe that was the reality, the norm? And that's the same with children who've been indoctrinated in this kind of toxic environment. It's the norm. And you mentioned that you don't know how to verbalize it as a child. You don't know yeah. how to say this person scares me or this person's doing whatever it might be to me. You can't verbalize that because you're stuck between is this the norm, but it doesn't feel right, but it it's exactly. the norm. So what's wrong with me? And you internalize right. it. So what's wrong with me? And that's the question that it becomes. I find it quite interesting that you mentioned you're the younger sibling as well, because I speak to a lot of older siblings who are the scapegoat child and who are the right. ones <laughs> and who are the ones who have made the decision to cut contact and their younger siblings by proxy have ended up cutting contact with them. Is your older sister no contact? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they had definitely. Oh, yeah. She probably she she definitely walked so that I could run. Like she okay. showed me that like, no, if, if someone is not treating you right, absolutely. You put a boundary down and I'm so thankful for her because she definitely took a brunt of, I think like the judgment and everything. So then it just kind of made me see like, okay, no, like this is, this is okay. I would have to be the referee in a lot of fights mm-hmm. sometimes or my mom would talk to me about how ungrateful my sister is. And I hope her kids treat her the same way. Oh, like You yeah. reap what you sow. All of these like ominous threats. Mm. And I'm like, why would you like want that for your child? Like, you'll see. Like, I hope your children hate you too. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so she definitely took a brunt of it. And I, 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 she's been so key in me, like kind of navigating a lot of things. Like before I was in therapy, because I would almost gaslight myself of like, did I imagine these things? Like, I can't really remember like the exact thing. So like, why did I like, why was I so adamant about not wanting a relationship with her? Like maybe, maybe I am ungrateful. Maybe, you know, I have done this and I start gaslighting myself of maybe she wasn't that bad. And then I talked to my sister and she's like, no, no, like this is real. (laughs) You did experience these things. This was very much real. You're not crazy. And I'm like, okay. And you need that. Like, cause if, if you don't, then it's almost like you have nobody else to verify of like, did I deserve that? Like, maybe I was a shitty kid. Maybe like I didn't deserve to get hit because your family normalizes it. Nobody calls it abuse. So am I being traumatic? Like, is this, people have it so much worse. So maybe this isn't abuse. And that was the hardest thing for me to label. It wasn't until like I, was maybe a year postpartum that I decided like, okay, I need to see a therapist because I was living all of my childhood trauma and like just all of these things. And I kept coming back to like, 
how hard is it to not fuck up your kids? Yeah. Like, it's not that hard. Like, <laughs> I've yeah. like, I've seen like, even on my worst days, having this limit of, I would never say this. I would never say this. I would never do this. So, so much was coming up of, it's not that hard to not abuse your kids. So like, I just couldn't make sense of it. And I remember like my therapist, like telling her all of this, she had to like pull up like a definition of abuse. And she was like, did your mom do this? And I'm like, yes. She's like, did she do this? And I'm like, yup. And she's like, did she do this? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, so you were abused. And I'm like, I don't think so. (laughs) It's a label, isn't it? You're like, well, (laughs) yeah, like it's so hard. Like, I guess because we maybe as a society, like we think it's like horrible. Like, yeah, my mom never put cigarettes out on my body or anything, but I like the cops were called and I was told that I'm going to go to hell. And one day my dad's going to remarry and no one's going to love me. And I'll be like, like, that's, that's still fucked up. Like we don't have to gatekeep abuse of either you were punched every night or like you were told that no one's going to love you. Like there's a spectrum for abuse Mm -hmm. and everyone can apply. No one has to feel like, well, because I didn't have it too bad. I guess I wasn't abused. That's not it. And we don't want to invalidate what you experienced either, because then that's just going to continue that entire cycle of abuse. It is really difficult. And the thing is, is when you do start to talk about your abuse, you then get, it's not really abuse, from society who are like, at least this didn't happen. Nobody raped you. So that's not really abuse. Nobody raped you every night. So that's not really abuse. And it's so difficult because once you do start to own it, then society starts to invalidate how you feel about it. So you can look and say, yeah, but I was a very parentified child. That is a form of emotional abuse. Okay. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you had to referee between a sibling and a parent. That is emotional abuse. It's not acceptable. It's Mm -hmm. not something that you would do to your own child. It's just unacceptable. And it is a form of abuse. And you say that, and then society swoops in and goes, well, and we have this real attitude around abuse of what it should look like. And especially Mm -hmm. when we talk about trauma, we have this attitude of what kind of things should constitute trauma. And if it's anything below that particular benchmark, well, you're probably just being a bit dramatic. You're probably just, it's a victim mentality. And that is so frustrating because you finally stop gaslighting yourself and then all of a sudden everyone else will pick up the button for you. <laughs> <laughs> they pick up the slack. They're like, yeah. oh, if you stop, then it's my turn yeah. now. Tag me in. <laughs> Tag me in. And I'm like, no, thank you. Like, I yeah, just, I just stop. Please don't tag in. I'm good. Yeah. It's just a lot of ignorance. And I don't think it comes from a bad place. Like, especially like my family is Hispanic. So like when I would tell a lot of people this, they would be like, oh yeah, my mom's crazy too. Like, and I'm like, yeah, but like, I'm not, and I'm not trying to validate what you're going through, but like, this was actually abuse. It's not just like, oh yeah, she's so crazy. Ha 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 ha. It's like, no, like this was like legit. Like she had something, like there was a mood disorder. There was instability. There was, this was something that was not okay. And so it's just, it's just pure ignorance, especially like in the Hispanic culture, we don't really talk about mental health mm. and family is everything. That's yeah. everything, everything, everything. Like that's supposed to be like number one, that's your priority. So there was just always that pressure of, and you see it and all the time, like in movies and shows, like how many movies and shows can you think of off the top of your head where there was an estrangement from the mother? It's always like, my mom's my best friend. We go get nails done together. We take walks and we talk about boys. That's what is instilled in everybody's head. (laughs) Or if there is an estrangement, it's from the parent's point of view of how ungrateful and horrible the child is. Because I can think of a few where she'll say like, my eldest child doesn't speak to me. And everybody's like, oh, that's so awful. As opposed to, well, what the fuck did you do? Like, that's the frustrating (laughs) thing. So you mentioned how in your cultural background, that is very, it's family's very much the, the main priority. Talk to me a little bit about that, because one of the things that I'm so keen with the podcast to do is to shed light on how this isn't just and I've had this comment before on TikTok of this is just a a white British people thing or this is just a white rich girl thing. And I'm like, (laughs) dude, this transcends across everyone. It is just different lenses for different cultures, different beliefs. It looks different, but trauma Mm -hmm. and family and generational trauma, it transcends everything. We all have it, 
but it, it yeah. looks different. And I'm really keen to kind of show that. So from a Hispanic point of view, you mentioned family is everything. I'd imagine there's so much more stigma then around stepping away from a toxic family member. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Hispanic culture, it is very much like you put family first. That's just how it is. And then that's instilled in you, which is not a bad concept. It's mm-hmm. not like this absolute either it's all good or all bad. It's just when it starts crossing boundaries, that's when it becomes unhealthy. So Hispanics are known for being very dramatic, for being very loud, for yelling. So, okay, there's some norm there, but we also don't want to just excuse bad behavior either of like, okay, sure. Like we naturally talk louder. We do yell. Okay. But why are we throwing things and why are we cursing at each other and never apologizing? It's just like, there's a joke like in uh, in Cuban culture, like we apologize with food. So like you'll just mm. have food like the next day or like you, they'll bring you dinner. And it's like, OK, this is this. I guess things are smoothed over. Like we never talk about it yeah. again. We never address it. It's just like normalized of like we don't talk about it. If you hear them say sorry, like hell has frozen over. Mm. So it's just it's not a conversation. And I think that, again, like they're just passing it down from what they learned where their parents said the same thing. They got yelled at, they got hit. They, that's very, very, very normalized. Very. That you would get spanked. You would get slapped. You'd get something thrown at you. You'd get the belt. You'd get whatever it is. And that's normal. Like you just, you put up with it. That's just how it is. So it was really, really hard breaking away from that. And I think that's why I experienced so much of like that pressure from outside people so not only from like the Cuban side, but then like the the spiritual Christian side as well of like, that's your mother. You have to honor her. Like this is, she did so much for you. She'd be so happy if you spoke to her. So it was always, I think, just like that mindset that we have to try to be friends. We have to always have a relationship with our family that was just kind of pushed on me. And so that's a really, really strong one. Since I am in Miami, I see a lot of Hispanic people as well. So when they experience that, like I, I can just understand from a whole other like mindset that it's so normalized that this is just like, this isn't, this isn't out of the norm. Like yelling is normal. Throwing things is normal. Casually. Oh, mom lost her cool. And she said some really fucked up shit. Like that's just, that's just mom. And it's like, that doesn't, that's not okay. Like just because she says these horrible things to you and you experience that. And that's what her mom did. And your grandma does doesn't mean that it's okay like so it's definitely a generational thing that they passed down like abuela did this to me grandma she did that to me so it's just what i do my mom did this to me so that's what i do but it absolutely it transcends any race any gender any culture any ethnicity any social economic status it's to everyone i have African-American patients who've gone through this. I have other Cuban patients, Puerto Rican patients, white patients who've all experienced degrees of this. And it's having to educate them of like, just because they're whatever race, gender, ethnicity, whatever, does not mean that what they did is okay. And I think that's been like the hardest thing to try to drill in because it's just like, oh, well, this happened to my cousin, this happened to my sister, this happened to me, like my grandma still does it to my mom. Like, so it's, it's really just like rewiring our brains of what's acceptable and what's not. Yeah. It's really like I, when you said about, you know, th- things are thrown and that kind of thing, you see all of the jokes across social media of like mom kicking up the shoe and flinging it. at someone. Yeah. And I always <laughs> sit there uncomfortable thinking, that's not okay. And yet, yeah, it's very much the norm in a lot of different cultures and in a lot of different backgrounds. It's very much the norm. So breaking away from that norm, I think in my culture, in, in British culture, it's that stiff upper lip and don't talk about it, which I relate to you with you saying about food. Although I feel a bit, I feel a bit shortchanged because nobody gave me food when they didn't want to talk about it. Like, where was my food? I didn't get anything. Nobody, nobody made me anything. It was literally just, we don't talk about it. And that was done. And one of the things that I remember so much with my mum is she, she would do a couple of different things. If I genuinely, we'd had a massive argument or really upset her. It could be silent treatment. 
And we're talking when I was tiny for a couple of days. And one of her favorite things to say when she really wanted to hurt me was, that's it. That's me and you done. And bear in mind, I had one parent who'd already abandoned me and gone off and had his own family. And you mentioned um, your mum would say things like, when he remarries, that'll be it. You'll be forgotten. I used to get that a lot when I was four, but unfortunately, he actually followed through. (laughs) So (laughs) uncomfortably, she was right. Right. Yeah. I'd had that message that had happened. And then I had my only parent would be very much, that's it, that's me and you done. And then wouldn't speak to me really for a couple of days or would just make sure that I got the bare minimum of like food and that kind of thing. I find that so triggering now like really yeah. triggering if there's any kind of silent treatment. The desire to go into form response is mm-hmm. huge. But her other thing, if she was angry, would be this explosive rage and then 10 minutes of perhaps a bit of awkwardness or even less than that. Sometimes it'd be two or three minutes of a bit of awkwardness. And then, what do you want for tea tonight? And wow. it was so <laughs> discombobulating of, okay, well, that yeah. just happened, but now we won't talk about it. And I think that's quite common. The silent treatment in particular, I think, is quite common in in, in British culture. It's just a, mm-hmm. we're just going to sulk a bit. Silent treatment is, yeah. you know, that's what we're going to do. And then it won't be talked about and it'll just be forgotten. Mm-hmm. But that kind of chop and change from being this raging person. I remember her chasing me up the stairs once and I was about... I think I was about 11 and maybe a bit older, maybe about 13. And she chased me to the bottom of the stairs and then she just started laughing because she thought it was so funny that I'd run so far. And then was talking to me as normal and just said, well, you just, I, I just flipped. You made me so angry. Um, So I chased you. And I was that frightened that I went and hid in the bathroom. And she thought it was hilarious. And I mm. thought it was hilarious until I had my own kids. And then I was like, I would be so ashamed if they were so frightened of me. Like the shame that I would feel would be huge. I wouldn't think it was funny that my kids were frightened of me, but she Mm -hmm. did. And it's really difficult to get away from that mindset of, but I did really make her angry. And then to internalize it, even as an adult, it's quite difficult, I think, to pull yourself away from it and look at it and be like, but I wasn't just a bad kid. I was just grumpy. She'd asked me to get the Christmas lights in and I'd gone and got them and like screwed all the wires into a ball. Like, <laughs> I mean, it would make anyone angry, but the right. reaction was so over the top. But like, it, it was typical exactly. teenage, like shoulder slumped, headphones in, <gasps> been asked to do yeah. something, <laughs> in, and then dumping these Christmas lights in front of her and just being like, mm, I'm going upstairs. And it, she just flipped. And it was such a scary moment for me. And yet absolute hilarity for her. And that that was so weird. Completely jumping. One thing I did want to touch on was you'd mentioned about the religious trauma and the um, indoctrination of you have to be in contact with this parent because God wants you to be. Can you talk to me a bit about that? Because that's not something I've experienced personally. But I know that it is a huge factor. And I have had comments left before of you need God and that kind of thing. I am not a religious person. So I'm always like, (laughs) thank you. But you're not missing out. (laughs) I'm I'm good. Like, whichever God it is that you're after. Not me, but thank you. But I, I think it's quite interesting the way that religion is weaponized to silence victims. Yes. And that is a huge, huge, huge thing. I had actually told my therapist about spiritual abuse and she's like, you know, this is the first time I'm hearing about this. And I'm like, wow. bitch, you're going to learn today because <laughs> this is real. Okay. Yeah. Like, this is not normal. And like, I, again, like I had to look up the definition of like what abuse was like manipulating somebody using fear tactics, guilting them into certain things. Mm. And I'm like, hello, like abuse is very much done by the church. Yes. So we were indoctrinated super early. Like my, my dad was huge in the church. He was a musician. He would like lead the praise and worship band. Um, so, and then I followed in his footsteps. So it was always like, I was very, very, very close to being in the house of God. And I have certain standards to live up to. So because of that, it would get weaponized against me if I wasn't talking with my mom of like, how can you go to the altar of God and praise him and be like a model for others when you're living in sin? Look how you treat your own mother. God sees everything. Mm. That was like what she loved. <laughs> like, like God is just, 
That was like the biggest thing that like we would always get told. So it would be like regular emotional abuse of like, oh, don't come to my funeral. You'll be crying the tears of a hypocrite. And then when that didn't work, let me throw some Bible verses at you about Mm. how God will get you back and you reap what you sow. And God is just, God sees all, like God will have his vengeance. And I'm like, holy shit, like I'm 13. Like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, (laughs) like, am I really at the top of God's hit list? Like, (laughs) like God is just like, he'll get his vengeance on a little like pubescent, like adolescent, (laughs) like, like what the fuck is that? So that's like the most terrifying thing. And I think that the only thing that's less talked about is like, then the obvious, like the mom trauma is like the mom and spiritual trauma because like mm. now she gets you from like both angles of like yeah. I'm gonna guilt to you and I'm gonna tell you that you're going to hell <laughs> so it's just like a double whammy where there's so much pressure like culture is telling me that I need to be in a relationship with you God is telling me that if I don't it's one of the ten commandments honor thy mother and father mm. so I'm breaking literally like one of the cardinal sins that God commandeth all of us that we need to love this person so eat it like that sucks yeah like she she tried to beat you with like a sandal like la chancla like too bad like that's your mom so honor her like shut up you can't talk back you can't fight back and that was always the first like weapon of like what a horrible Christian you are, what a hypocrite. And that was my identity. So she was really attacking my identity and using the, the spiritual enmeshment that I had against me of like, well, now you're bad, not only with me and now God thinks you're bad too. So it's like, God damn, like that's, that's a lot of pressure yeah. so much. And like, I have countless emails cause I would just like block her from my phone of it would be again like the emotional abuse and then like we would like all right now turn it into overdrive here we go bible verse bible verse bible verse bible verse bible verse bible verse so justifying like god says based off of this you're going to hell have fun burning and it's like (laughs) that is so terrifying (laughs) that's so terrifying to hear as a teenager and like everyone would laugh it off like oh yeah your mom's just crazy and it it wasn't until like later having to like unpack this of like this is this was not right and so a lot of people don't realize that spiritual abuse is something you're not crazy anybody trying to guilt you into doing a certain thing in the name of any religion that is not okay that is not healthy that is crossing the boundary into spiritual abuse spiritual manipulation so that is something that I'm, again, like that's another specialty group that I love seeing cult survivors. My, my church was very much a cult, mm-hmm. um, because it's just not talked about at all. And again, it's those like, well, okay, well, my pastor didn't rape me. So I guess I wasn't in a cult. Yeah. And it's like, no, like that's not the only type of cult. That's only, that's not the only type of emotional, spiritual abuse. It's other things as well. So it's just spreading that awareness that there's a spectrum where this manipulation and abuse comes in that you're not crazy. This was not right. This was not okay that this was said to you, but nobody talks about it. No, nobody does want to talk about it. And I think quite often as well, nobody wants to talk about it because they don't want to be accused of being that bad Christian, but they also don't want to be somebody who sounds like they're being derogatory about someone else's religion. Nobody Mm -hmm. will come forward and be like, I think that's a bit weird because be like, you don't know my religion. You don't know my relationship with this deity. That's not acceptable for you to judge me on that. You're discriminating against me when actually what you're doing is trying to point out the red flag of how abusive this scenario is. Did it Mm -hmm. impact your religious beliefs? Have you stepped away? Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Because my mom used something uh, called spiritual bypass. Mm-hmm. which is basically where we use religion as like a way to kind of feel okay about our problems. Like we become so obsessed with this. So then all the other stuff that we should really work on goes into the background. So we bypass all of the problems and all mm-hmm. of the mental health things that we should work on because we're just so focused on our relationship with God and kind of shoving it down everyone else's throat. So my mom was a huge fanatic, huge, 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 huge. So it would always be like, if you piss her off, like it'd be, okay, well, this is why God is going to punish you with like hellfire. (laughs) Like it was, it was like terrifying. So it wasn't until I was about like 18, 19, I had my own experiences with the church where 
the math was starting to make sense. I was starting to like connect the dots of like, wait, like God says this, but you're doing this. And the Bible says this, but you don't do that. And so starting to like connect the dots and the light bulb went on of like, oh, okay. Like you can be a shitty Christian, like, and, and you are a shitty Christian and that's okay. But if you try to point that out, then it would just be like Bible verse of like, oh, well, we're all filled with sin and it's okay. Like you can't judge me for my sin because God loves us anyway. So it's like, you can never win. You can never win. Like there's always like a quote. There's always a Bible verse that excuses it of like, Mm -hmm. well, if I'm filled with sin, it's because God made me and he loves me anyway. And you should feel bad. Take the, the log out of your own eye before you try taking the splinter out of mine of like, worry about your own problems before you Mm -hmm. come at me. So there was like, there was just no accountability. There was nothing. There was always a way to get out of any kind of criticism or judgment. So when I finally left the church around 19 or 20, my God, I went through like an identity crisis (laughs) because for the better half of a decade, I was all about the Christian girl. Like my, my first Twitter account was like, I think it was like drummer for Christ. So like, that was always like the forefront of my identity. So peeling back that of like, okay, not only did the church try to manipulate me, but this was also my mom tried to manipulate me with this religion it was like, I had to relearn everything. I had to, my family was really religious. And so we didn't celebrate Christmas. We didn't celebrate Halloween. We didn't do any of that. I had my first Christmas tree, like my own, like once I was with my my husband at like 20, that was my first Christmas tree that I decorated and everything. So there was just so many things that I had to like now learn and experience and find out like, oh, that's not normal. That was like, I'd say the better half of like 20 to like 25. Oh, that's not normal. Oh, that's not normal. Oh, you didn't, that, you, that didn't happen to you. Like, <laughs> explaining so to people hard. certain things and then them looking at you like, mm, it's such a right. bizarre experience <laughs> when you're like, oh, I did that. And then you just get like a little side eye of, mm. <laughs> absolutely. Like, wait, what do you mean? Like, your mom didn't like, <clears throat> like throw things at you or like, yeah. I lost my glasses once or it was probably like the second or third time. And like, she destroyed my room. Like she was like, we're going to find these fucking glasses. Like I'm tired of buying new glasses for you. And she flipped the bed. She opened all my drawers, throwing everything. And I just thought like, Oh, you know, like, well, I was a shitty kid losing really expensive mm. glasses. And I remember telling that to somebody and they were like, that's awful. And yeah. I was like, no, like those were expensive glasses that I lost. Yeah. And they're like, <laughs> but that that's really bad like that's that's not normal and I was like what (laughs) yeah it's not are you sure because I feel like it should be I mean it 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 actually hang on a minute no it probably wasn't normal (laughs) and it's only when you actually step out of it that you start to see it it's really bizarre and especially for me with divorce and that kind of topic I when I hear people talking about how their parents divorced and they have relationships with both of them and they have this and like, oh, well, you know, it's a bit awkward because we're going to Christmas dinner here, but this is how we do it, rotate it. And I'm like, does nobody like, Yeah, I don't know, is, is, it, is nobody like mortally offended? Does, will your mum <laughs> speak to you if you go and speak to your dad? And they're like, obviously why would she not did you not read court transcripts when you were younger like oh what, what's the difference I don't understand and it's bizarre when other people have these fairly normal experiences I would say divorce is a fairly normal experience for people of our generation you know over half of marriages end in divorce it happens mm-hmm. and yet to me if I hear of someone getting divorced I've got their they've got their kids it's like a big trauma because yeah. oh my goodness that must be the most awful experience in the world as opposed to just they're getting divorced yes it is a difficult experience but they're going to navigate it this way this way and this way I'm like oh that whole child's life is about to be ruined and very what right. my, people might think is dramatic but that's how it was for me everything really fell apart then and yes there was abusive behavior before that but I didn't see it from either of them Mm-hmm. It was only after the divorce that you started to seeing it. Yeah, I think so. Well, that I I remember it. I suppose um, mm-hmm. I, the the memories of them have come back much more since I had my kids, but also working through things in therapy. I think therapy people don't really talk about how 
re-traumatizing that can be at times going through all the experiences how things will suddenly come up for you and you're like did I make that up as you mentioned earlier did I did I imagine that because you do start to remember these things especially when you are in therapy and it's almost like a slow trickle and then someone flicks a tap and goes well you're about to remember everything and it's the same with parenthood all of it starts to come back and you view it through a completely different lens yeah and like the biggest thing especially like postpartum obviously like we all lose our shit on our kids doesn't mean that they're bad kids it's just sometimes kids are assholes and they're gonna gonna piss you off like that's okay it's not like you're not a bad mom for saying that but I remember if I ever had an overreaction, mm-hmm. the mom guilt was crushing. And it, it took therapy um, for me to realize like, okay, this is a trigger for me because yeah. I think that I unconsciously decided like I never want to be anything in the ballpark mm-hmm. of how my mom would act. So if I saw myself losing my cool and yelling at my son, I was like, I'm, I'm going to traumatize him. I'm going to, I'm going to hurt him. Like I'm I'm horrible. He's not going to love me. The first time that I, I've only spanked him, I think maybe like once or twice. And it was like on the butt um, with like his diaper on. So like, I know that I did not hurt him or anything, but like it was in the middle of like a tantrum and like, see, like even now, like I feel like the need to like justify it because I'm like, I abused my kid. Like, so I remember when that first happened, crying to my husband of like, I'm so sorry. Like I, I gave him like a slap on the butt with his diaper and like, Oh my God, what's wrong with me? And he was like, you spanked him. Like he, he, he was probably freaking out. Like, look, you needed to do something like, okay, we learn about like what happened that you lost your cool that you need to work on. And okay, like we deal with it. But yeah. the mom guilt was crushing because I think that if I saw anything that even looked a sliver, like what my mom would do, it would immediately be like, Oh, you're going to be like your mom. And yeah. that I think is just this unconscious thing that I decided a long time ago that you can't be like that Mm. so like in therapy we have this pretty cheesy saying that if it's hysterical it's historical Mm. so if you're having some kind of like over-the-top reaction there's normally something in your history that is matching that that's being triggered and that's why you're having that reaction and for me it was me playing out what I saw what I saw is it was normal to get spanked it was very normal of like I'm gonna pull over the car I was very normal of like, do you want to go to the bathroom? And if you go to the bathroom, like you're getting your ass beat. Like that's, that's what that meant. I remember one time I got taken to the bathroom and my mom was spanking me. And I remember like a patron intervened and she was like, Hey, like you shouldn't be hitting your kid. And my mom lost it on this lady of like, mind your fucking business. Like I'll discipline my kid however I want. So that's what I saw. I saw that it was normal to get spanked. I saw it was normal to get the belt. It was normal to be sitting in the bathtub and like, having like red marks on your butt mm. and everything like all of that was normal. So now coming into it, I was like, now I have this, this beautiful little child. I could not imagine getting a belt and hitting him. I could not imagine getting my shoe and smacking him, this helpless defenseless child hitting him for being a child. That's really what it is. You're being a child. Yeah. Like it's, it, it does not compete with me. And my job as a therapist is to empathize with others, but like, I can't, that's like, I just, I can't, there's a barrier there that just does not allow me to understand how I would do that. And so I think that's what was coming up a lot for me, like seeing this beautiful child and how could someone say these things? Mm. How could someone do this? It just, it did not make sense. I had so much love and it just, it was just so free. It was just so freely accessed to give this love to this child that it, it's still to this day that I cannot comprehend. I, I understand. And I know mental illness can obviously pay, play an impact or play a role in that. But it just, it was so hard for me to wrap my mind around having this beautiful thing that I was so grateful for and trying to understand how someone could just mess it up so many times like not just once not twice but like years years and years and years so I don't know how you ended up coping with that I know that you have a couple kids so did it get easier like after each kid or was it just kind of like the same thing no I don't think it does I think (laughs) there is nothing that sorry (laughs) nothing that triggers the shit out of you like kids I swear to god there is nothing yeah like kids (laughs) 
And what I'm experiencing with my eldest now as he moves into his teen years, he's 12, nearly 13. And as he moves into those phases, he's very hormonal and has been for a few years. That's a whole different ballgame of difficult because I remember Mm -hmm. how I was already very grown up by the time I was six or seven. So experience of being a little child that my younger two have I can't relate to and I find that quite hard and then now he's getting that bit older I'm like well is this too much is this too little is that too much independence is that too little I don't know where the lines are because my independence was wild like I'd be left alone from the age of his little sister who's eight for hours at an end um and younger and Mm -hmm. I have such different experiences that I find that quite difficult and then things like him being really tired on a morning and really slow (laughs) getting ready that triggers the shit out of me and it's funny with you saying about if it's hysterical it's historical I lost my shit the other day because I was trying to get a shoe on and and I caught I've got a little cut on my finger and Um. I put my finger in the slip of the back of his shoe and he pushed down and it caught my finger and at the same time we were rushing for a train well I fully lost my shit because it hurt and I really screamed at him and as I was shouting at him I was saying I'm so sorry that I'm shouting at you I know I shouldn't be (laughs) and I was like this is full out you lost your marbles here lady and he just (laughs) you don't shout at me because you're still going and then I took a step back and I calmed down and I said to him, I am really sorry that I spoke to you like that. You are, it, it, your what's happening here is really frustrating me. It, that's not your fault. I need you to get your shoes on and I needed you to be a bit more awake. And that's for me not to have lost my shit with you. I'm mm-hmm. very, I am very sorry that I lost my temper with you. I was trying really hard not to, and I did. And I'm sorry about that. And now that we've got to that age where we have those conversations I find that conversation in itself quite triggering because I'm like, but I never had that. There would never have been anything like that. So that in itself, I'm a bit like mentally thinking to myself, so you should be okay now and like get over it because at least I've apologized to you. (laughs) And then I have to check myself and be like, but he can be angry with you if he wants to be. That's okay. He might not want to give you a hug right now because he's pissed at you because you've shouted at him and that's okay. Check yourself. But all of these little things with parenting is so triggering when we've had these experiences. And I think it's not so much that it doesn't get better as they get older. I think it just gets different. And it's different things that trigger you and different things Mm -hmm. that come up for you, even if they're not triggering you and can make you quite sad at times. Like I said, that having that conversation around, I'm so sorry that this happened and I, I shouldn't have lost my temper. And then you analyze everything you say, don't you? Everything that you yeah. say. Like if I say to him, but you were making me angry, then half an hour later, I'll be sat there going, <laughs> oh my God, I put the responsibility onto him. And you uh-huh. overdo it <laughs> exhausting. so much. It's so <laughs> exhausting. But it is quite normal, I think, if you've had these experiences in childhood to be that way, because you're so desperate not to repeat the cycle. And I get people that say to me, mm-hmm. well, I know how to be a good parent. I just do everything the opposite of them. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I hate to tell you, (laughs) but that's actually also really not great. It's like a pendulum swing one way to the other and you end up with a whole different type of abuse and a whole different type of behavior. So it's really difficult to find that solid middle ground and to hold yourself accountable without bullying yourself. Because we've all got that negative inner critic and without allowing them to take over, it's really Mm -hmm. hard, really hard. Yeah. It's exhausting, like, (laughs) but I think that it's only when you come to that point in your own journey of self-healing and recognizing like, okay, I need to heal from these things that you're able to start breaking that cycle with your children. Because if not, you're just doomed to keep doing it and doing it and doing it. So I tried implementing the same thing. Like even that, like my son was like a year old, like he doesn't understand anything that I'm saying to him, but I would tell him like, hello, like I haven't slept for like God knows how many hours, like I'm, I'm losing my, my shit here. And I, I started implementing of like, you know what? Like, no, like this is not okay. Like, and I'd apologize. And I'd say like, mom is really sorry. Mom is really sorry for screaming. Mom is really sorry for yelling. She didn't mean that that wasn't okay. And she's sorry. And like, I didn't know if at the time, and I think this was overanalyzing too, of like, is this like whiplash for him? Like she yeah. just yelled at me and <laughs> she's apologizing. So I'm like, Oh my God, am I traumatizing him like this? Like, yeah. 
yeah. but I'm you like, will forever don't... wonder if you're traumatizing them and forever be like am oh, I am God. I doing it is it bad and then you yeah you're not but you will forever I, but you don't know more, I think. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't know I think the main difference is as well is when they get older they can come and tell you the things that they've do, that you've done and that's where you can validate it and be accountable and that's not to say yeah. you know oh well do whatever you like because at least you can be accountable when they're older but it is because we will all make mistakes there are going to be yeah. things that we're going to do that will repeat cycles there are going to be things that we will do that will be fresh traumas for our kids that might be a new cycle that we create because when you know better you do better but exactly. the difference between us and our parents and the main difference is that when our adult children come and say to us, you know, you used to do that a lot and it really upset me because they've got their own kids and they've recognized it. We can go, I really didn't know that upset you. And I'm so sorry that I made you feel that way. I will make sure that in future I don't do that. And I will check right. myself on that. And please let me know if I do, because these conversations are important and we can validate how they felt about that. That's a huge difference that I mean, can you imagine your parent coming up to you yeah. and being like, I'm really sorry that I'm, I made you feel this way. Not I'm really sorry you feel this way, but I'm really right. sorry that <laughs> I made you feel this way. I'm really sorry that I did this, taking ownership of it. It just wouldn't happen. Like, right. It was very much like, <laughs> this is, I'm sure you can relate of, I didn't do that. And if yeah. I did, then you need to get over it. Or if I did it, then God forgives me. Like, why yeah. are you still holding on to this? So it's like, which is it? You didn't do it. And if you did do it, then I'm exaggerating. And if I am exaggerating, then I need to get over it. And it was like, just any way to escape yeah. the uncomfortability of accountability. Yeah. And I get it. Like, it, nobody enjoys having that magnifying glass on them and having to admit. But again, like, it just goes back to like, thinking of the love that I have for my child. Like, I cannot imagine putting my pride over the relationship mm. with him. I just can't. There's not a universe where I can imagine that my pride is so important to me or I cannot utter the words that he would need to hear to feel better and possibly risk losing this relationship that I have with him mm. in the name of saving face. That is wild to me because yeah. like, you're right like that. Those words are so powerful. And like, obviously I know that sometimes abusers can have very facetious apologies where it's not really genuine, but if it was a genuine, even like, I'm sorry, you're right. I, I want to do better. That, that must've been hard. Four sentences. Yeah. Four sentences could have like removed like <laughs> four months of, of therapy. Like, <laughs> yeah, so it, it really is impactful. So like, I, I try to implement that my son and, and he'll still be mad. He'll still be like, mama, no, listen me. And I'm like, you're right. I'm sorry. And like, he'll still like, like have his like little tantrum and everything. And I'm like, okay, like, you know what? He can be upset. And I tried telling him like, you can be mad. That wasn't okay. What mama did. And he's three. And I want him to learn that if he does have a reaction that he's not proud of, you don't have to finish that out. You don't have to keep saying like all of the horrible rage things. Like you can stop it as soon as you recognize like, oh, you know what? That's really fucked up. Mm -hmm. You can stop it right then and there of like, you know what? What I just said was not okay. I'm really sorry. Yeah. And it can be jarring of like, you were just upset at me. What's going on? But I'd rather that like, we don't have to play out this negative cycle, wait a day for cooler heads to prevail and then be like, you know what? I'm really sorry. No, like if you're recognizing it, Five minutes after you have overreacted, do something. Yeah. Don't let them have the conversation. Yeah. Exactly. Have Cause the then you just stay in that horrible feeling of either being upset, feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling alone, crying. Like the sooner that you just start repairing that, the less they're going to be in that cycle. Mm. And we never had that. So it was just kind of like you just stay in that mode because there was never any fixing. There was no conversation. There was no bridging there was just like okay well that happened anyways and so you just stay with that there was never like okay this was a wound that I created let's clean it let's suture it we're gonna cover it up and it's gonna get better we yeah. didn't have that so then yeah. you just carry that into adulthood with like all these open wounds and then you're wondering why the fuck am I getting triggered it's because you have all of this like all of these because we never did anything about all this trauma because we just <laughs> left it there to just hang in suspense and now it's coming yeah. back to you because it all it'll always <laughs> come back to you that's what it does so, exactly. which is quite fitting actually on Halloween that the trauma is just there like a little <laughs> yes <laughs> I love it I love creepy, trauma creepy on Halloween there. there it is <laughs> 
Becca, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. It has been such a good episode and I feel like there's going to be so many people that relate so much to what you've said and it's given us a completely different angle that we've not spoken about before. So I'm really grateful for that. Thank you. Can you let people know know where they can find you? Yes. So um, I have a a therapy account. Um, It's called on Instagram, Healing with Becca. Um, So that is my 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 therapy account where I, I do all the therapy stuff. And I always encourage anybody to find me on there, send me any questions. I have a support group as well called strong as a mother mm-hmm. uh, to play on like, you know, strong as a motherfucker. So yeah. I do have like a support group for mothers as well, especially with that estrangement factor, just so that you have that extra support reliving that trauma. Like, okay, we get it. We've been there. Let's figure it out. Let's help mm. you with this. Yeah. So I do offer that as well to other people. Just because this is hard. <laughs> this yes, is hard, yes. but having these conversations, I'm so grateful for. And I, I really do hope that this is hopefully hopefully helping somebody else realize, like, you're not crazy. You're not mm-hmm. alone. This is not normal. And hopefully just kind of increasing that awareness that this won't happen to other generations. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. I think probably on the audio there at the end, people will have heard my cat singing in the background as well whilst you do that. See, that serenaded as you were sharing that information. I love it. <laughs> thank you for the background music, the little remix. <laughs> but thank you so much for sharing and for coming on today. It really has been a pleasure. No, I am so grateful. I was so excited at the opportunity. The podcast has helped me identify uh, a lot of different experiences that were just invalidated. And through the podcast, I felt validated. So I am just really happy to hopefully give back and allow that for somebody else. Thank you so much. That's brilliant. And I will speak to you all again soon. Yes, I hope you have a very happy Halloween. (laughs) Bye. Take care. 